I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be rounding up all the latest Arsenal news. We're going to continue to react to the signing of Declan Rice. We're going to talk Romeo Lavia, Thomas Partey, following Balogun, and we're going to take your questions and thoughts, of course, from the live chat box. Good to see so many of you with us on this Sunday morning. It's just about morning, uh, coming up to midday, though, here in the UK. Hope you're all good. As I say, hope you are all well. Going to say a few hellos uh, in just a moment. Um, it's amazing how many people still get annoyed when we start the stream a few minutes late. Guys, we always do it. We do it on purpose because what we found is that People don't always get the notification in time and then they end up missing the beginning of the show. So we always set the stream for five minutes before we're actually going to go live. But every show, there's still people asking what the delay is. Um, I understand that some of you might be, might be new and might not be used to my weird ways, but basically uh, that's why we do it. Um, right. We're going to do loads today. Um, I, I did say to you guys yesterday that what I wanted to do on today's episode of the podcast was start to break down and look into what I believe to be Arsenal's best 11, because we've signed Rice, we've signed Havertz, we've signed Timber. And there's a lot of debate as to where these guys fit in exactly, if or who drops out of the team to make way for them. There's a lot of conversations going on about what exactly the roles are of these players coming in. I mean, take Kai Havertz, for example. Is he coming in to play as a left eight? That's what we think. But is that his best position? I think there is a debate to be had there. Is that his best position right now? Maybe not. And, and there is, as I say, a debate to be had there. Yuri and Timber, is he coming in to play as a right back? Is he coming in to take over from Ben White? Or is he coming in actually uh, with a view to fighting for that place and being the backup that unfortunately Rob Holding just couldn't be at the back end of last season? There's so, so much um, that we can break down and talk about. And then you know, you throw Declan Rice into the mix as well. And I think judging by an, a piece that I read yesterday in The Athletic, I'm assuming that the idea is for him to play as a six. But I'm not necessarily sure that that is the right thing, particularly if Thomas Partey remains at the club. So th there's lots of debates and question marks over what the best 11 is. And we did want to do a show specifically on that. We will do it, I promise. Um, I've even got the notes ready. I've I've written them all out. I've done it. I've drawn my team up. I've drawn my whole squad up and everything. It is ready to go. But when I woke up this morning and I started scrolling through the Arsenal news, I felt there was too much for us just to ignore and for us to kind of park and, and do a, a totally different show on. So what we'll do is we'll do the starting 11 show as an addition, uh, maybe tomorrow or Tuesday uh, when I've had maybe a bit more time to process the thoughts or maybe when it becomes a little bit clearer with regards to what our midfield is going to look like. Because one of the stories we're going to talk about today is with regards to Thomas Partey. It looked like he was all set for an exit. Then it quietened down. But over the last few days, we've started to hear murmurs and whispers again uh, that he could be on his way out. So, yeah, we're going to um, we're going to get into that and what that means and whether it, you know, is something that we've made enough sort of preparation for in terms of 
the, the rebuild of our midfield. We'll get into all of that. There's loads and loads to talk about. Uh, let's go over to the chat and say a few good mornings. Whoever said we ignore the chat, we do not ignore the chat. But you've got to remember, guys, this is a, an audio podcast as well. Predominantly, there's still more people that tune in on audio than there is on video. So I have to cater for that audience as well who can't see the chat, who are not in the interactive conversation. And so there needs to be that balance between speaking to you guys in the live chat, but also producing a podcast that people can listen to without consuming it live at that moment. A uh, big hello to um, Hawkwind. We've got Henry, Christoph is here, Mohammed is here, Harry, Raphael, Lynn. Uh, we've got William Salibak. Love that. Uh, we've got Clock Orange. We've got Carrie. We've got Doug. We've got Damien. Uh, Dipak is with us as well. Nick is here too. NSW says, Harry, you didn't sing Rice, Rice, Baby. I'm unsubscribing. Mate, I'll leave that to AFTV. <laughs> what was that video about? Oh, my word. Um, yeah, not not really my thing. You're not going to catch me dancing outside the Emirates Stadium uh, like that unless we win uh, the trophy at the end of the season, the big one, the Premier League. Then maybe you might see me dancing outside, but it won't be uh, to that. Uh, big hello to uh, Terrell. We've got Bernard. Uh, we've got Alpha Wolf. Trevor is with us too. Maximus Paritosh. Uh, we've got Angela, John, uh, Kamugizi, Rodney and Patrick. Right. Um, let's get into it then. Let's start with the Declan Rice stuff, because I know the news broke yesterday. I know that the sort of announcement was done yesterday. Earlier on today, Arsenal released the behind the scenes video, a bit like the one we saw for Yuri and Timber. And I was like, I can't start this podcast until I've watched that. It's just such wholesome content, man. Like, Arsenal, for me, have finally, after a long, long time, cracked it in terms of what the fans want and what the fans need to feel connected to this football club. Now, obviously, winning is what we all want, right? And, and winning is everything to a point when it comes to football. But there is something, there is a lot of value, in fact, in feeling that connection to your football club. I, f I think so anyway. And it isn't really something I used to think too much about in the past because I always growing up, took it for granted that Arsenal would always compete at the top, that Arsenal would always be one of the big boys. I started supporting Arsenal when Arsene Wenger took over, basically, maybe a few months before. Um, so for me, Arsenal were always in the conversation. Arsenal were always in the discussion. And so I probably took that for granted a little bit. And then we went through some really difficult periods and, you know, we made changes. Um, you know, Arsene Wenger's time came to an end, probably at the right time, maybe a bit late in some people's eyes. And then, you know, we turned to another manager and it didn't really work out. And I, at that point, for the first time in my life, felt a bit of a disconnect, a disconnect forming between myself and the football club that I love. And to have that back now and, and arguably have it back more than I've ever felt it because of just how lovable and likable a lot of the characters that we are building this new team around are. It makes the world of difference to feel that invested. And Arsenal are doing a great job at the moment of this. Some will call it PR spin and all the rest of it, but that is a part of the reality. When you're a big football club with a global fan base, you need to be able to do that. You need to be able to keep people engaged. Obviously, results on the pitch and progress on the pitch will be the biggest factor there. If you've got that, then, you know, you're... You're halfway there, more than halfway there. But you also need to do the other things around it really, really well. And I think Arsenal have done a great job of that. It's 
July the 16th, and Arsenal have secured their three primary transfer targets going into the window, which is brilliant. You know, it really, really is. And it's a testament to the work that the team has done behind the scenes, not just since last season ended, but before that as well, to get their ducks in order to make that possible and make that achievable so early on in the window. Yeah, it felt like the Declan Rice deal took an absolute age, but how many other clubs in the Premier League or beyond have got their primary transfer targets in, all in the door and ready to go on tour with the team by this point in the summer? Very, very few. So you've got to give Arsenal credit. I, I appreciate that when you're in it, when you're in the situation, you can feel really, really anxious and nervous and and sort of desperate for things to progress. And, and you know, you can get caught up in that sort of small world and, and, and you can become a little bit narrow-minded about how long a deal is taking. But the truth is we've done it all pretty quickly. We've done it really, really well. I mean, Man United, they've got Mason Mountain. They still haven't wrapped up Anana, um, although we think that is close. They still haven't got the centre forward that they want. Chelsea, you know, have Chelsea done the business that they need to do? I don't think so. Spurs, not ready yet. They've got a lot of um, a lot of issues to resolve within the squad, but also with regards to Harry Kane, who Bayern Munich are making loads of noises about at the moment. Uh, you look at Liverpool, you know, brought in a couple of midfield players in McAllister and Zaboslai, and you think they're moving in the right direction, but now they're about to lose Fabinho and they could still lose Jordan Henderson at the time of recording as well. So, you know, it's, there are not many clubs that I look at now and think, yeah, you're set for the new season. And I don't think we're 100% set, but I think we're a lot closer to being set than many, many others that we're expected to be competing with going into the new season. So, yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be really interesting. But don't take anything away from the great work that the guys behind the scenes have done so far. I know we talked at length about Rice yesterday. We got some of you guys on uh, on our reaction show as well to have your say, which was brilliant. It's always great hearing from you guys uh, too. But that was done an hour after the announcement came out. You know, we consumed some of the content that had been put out about Declan Rice. But I always like to kind of take a step back from a subject, spend a bit of time looking into it, gauging the reaction of others, um, you know, listening to what other people have to say. And I think that's a good point, or maybe that's not such a good point. And I like to not form my judgment based on that, because I think that, you know, you're, you, you should most of the time go with your gut. But I like to build out my reasoning and rationale for something by taking a bit of time to step back and process it. And I, I did that yesterday. After we did the podcast, I sat back. I spent pretty much my whole afternoon just watching Declan Rice content, um, watching people's reactions to the Declan Rice news, watching uh, how social media was reacting to it. I was glued to my phone yesterday. I have to admit that. That's not always a good thing, but on a day like yesterday, I think it's excusable. And um, I think the thing that really, really comes across with Declan Rice is, is his character for me. Now, in the past, I've looked at Declan Rice and thought, I'm not sure. Over the last couple of seasons, he's impressed me in terms of the progress he's made, because I really do feel like he's taken his game up to another level. But there was always a part of me through the window that felt that £100 million for Declan Rice was excessive and that it was a lot, a lot of money. And, and maybe we were going a little bit too far and, and maybe it was something that was going to bite us in the ass later down the line. I, I don't know. Like that, that was just my gut feel at the time. 
But when you watch that content, right, when you watch the the interview, which, as I mentioned yesterday, I think is the best welcome interview I've ever seen from a player joining Arsenal. Um, when you watch sort of just his manner and the way he is with the people behind the scenes, if you haven't seen it yet, there is a video on Arsenal.com this morning. Uh, Declan Rice is behind the scenes. You know, it, it captures from when he sort of arrives at London Coney, which we got a glimpse of when we saw the interview, uh, him going through the medical checks, being put through his paces, uh, sort of exploring the training ground a little bit and then going off to the Emirates with uh, Mikel Arteta and Edu and, and them sharing some jokes and some laughs and all the rest of it. When you listen to the stuff that Declan Rice says in that video, and it's not pre-rehearsed, right? And, you know, because it's, it's just obvious that it isn't. It's obvious that this is just someone who is genuinely genuinely buzzing to be a part of Arsenal Football Club, who recognises what an institution Arsenal Football Club is and understands that although he's earned the right to be here and earned this move and deserves to be where he is, actually, he knows that he's lucky to be here as well in the sense of he knows that this is not an opportunity that everybody gets. And he seems willing and desperate, in fact, to take this opportunity with both hands. And I honestly can't wait to see how he gets on in Arsenal colours. His personality comes across as infectious. It really, really does. And some of you may have seen uh, a picture that I posted a little while ago uh, when we sort of thought that the Declan Rice thing was getting closer of me and Declan Rice. Now, I don't know Declan Rice. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know Declan Rice. But I did have a, a four or five minute conversation with him when he was at West Ham. And this was, as I've, I might have told you guys the story before, but it was my first or one of my first, I think it was my second uh, game for BBC Radio London. I'd gone to Reading to cover uh, Reading against West Ham in a pre-season friendly. And I remember it being baking hot that day. I remember sort of being asked by the studio to go and get some interviews after the game. And I remember sort of coming down from the press area at Reading, which is really, really high up, not knowing where exactly I needed to go because I'd never been there before. Um, not having had that experience of covering games in the flesh as much and not really knowing where to go and all the rest of it and getting a little bit flustered about the fact that shit, I might not get an interview in which case I'm going to have to go back to the studio on only my second game after they've given me a chance and say, sorry guys, I couldn't get one. Like I was, I remember being really, really nervous about that. And I remember sort of trying to find players and trying to find David Moyes and all the rest of it. And then I spotted Declan Rice and I thought, you know what? I've got to, I'm going to look like a right idiot if I go back to the studio now with no interview. Um, and I just went up to Declan Rice and, and, and we spoke for like four or five minutes and he was great. You know, he was brilliant. He was so, so good. And you could just tell how down to earth he was, how likable he is. And it's genuine with Declan Rice. And I think his character is going to rub off on a lot of people. We keep talking about that family element that we have at Arsenal right now. And so although he's a great fit from a footballing perspective, he's a great fit in terms of a, a, as a personality as well. And I'm really, really looking forward um, to seeing how uh, how he fits into the team and, and how far we can go with him in our midfield. We're going to come on to talk about Partey in a minute. Uh, the potential of Arsenal may be moving for Romeo Lavia, depending on what happens with the Garnet. And we'll get into all of that in just a second. We're going to take a few uh, of your... Um, 
your comments and then uh, we're going to take a short pause and dive into the next subject. But Christoph, uh, who watched uh, obviously Declan Rice's interviews, uh, has taken this away. And I like this. He said that we learned some player given nicknames from Rice's interview. Sacks, Rammers and Whitey. <laughs> Somehow need to work those into the daily podcast. I almost feel like you can't call them those names unless you're mates with them. Um, and I'd love to be mates with all of them, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can do that over the course of the season. Sacks, Rammers and Whitey. We'll try it. We'll try it. Um, Nick says uh, a lot of salty West Ham fans yesterday. My word, they were a lot, weren't they, on social media, uh, calling the announcement cringe and, and this and that. And look, I, I don't get it, man. I think, you know, we're a big, big football club. West Ham are a relatively big football club, OK? They're not in the same league or the same boat as Arsenal. But I genuinely do think if I were a West Ham fan, I'd wish Declan Rice well. You know, it's not like Declan Rice engineered a move away, threw his toys out the pram, didn't want to play, all the rest of it was really, really difficult during this process. Declan Rice knew what he wanted. He knew where he wanted to go. He knew what West Ham wanted for him in terms of money. And he just sat back and allowed the two clubs to thrash it out. I thought he was incredibly respectful in the way he played towards the end of his West Ham career, which, and we know now that, you know, the, the move to Arsenal was on the cards way back. Um, but you never would have thought that you know, based on the way he performed. We know that he's been, as I say, incredibly respectful in terms of his goodbye letter and all the rest of it. He was even respectful to West Ham in his Arsenal interview where he made reference to them and how much he loves and cares for the football club. I, I just couldn't understand then why there were so many West Ham fans taking to social media to have a go, to criticise him. You're not going to, as a West Ham fan, want Arsenal to win things because we're London rivals. But we hate Spurs, they hate Spurs. We hate Chelsea, they hate Chelsea. I actually didn't think that they felt the way that they clearly do towards us. Um, maybe because I don't really feel too strongly either way for West Ham myself. Maybe I was a bit oblivious, actually, to how big the rivalry is, perhaps. I don't know. I just think if I were a West Ham fan, I'd A, be incredibly grateful to Declan Rice and want him to go on and do well. And B... You know, I'd I'd almost admire the fact that he's not taken the easy route and gone to Manchester City, for example. And instead, he's come to Arsenal where, A, he believes it's the right environment for him, but B, he also feels there's a real big challenge there. That is the right character for me. I think he deserves so much praise, not the opposite. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, what else have we got? Uh Wadribo says, uh, Harry, for sure, this Rice signing is exactly what I want Arsenal to do right now. It feels good to be part of this beautiful club. Absolutely. Um, what else have we got? Lynn's got a little bit of a concern. She says, I'm so pleased that we've signed Declan. However, if I was Declan, the price and the amount of publicity he's been getting over the last two months uh, could be a problem. Let's hope the pressure doesn't get to him. I think he'll be OK. I think he'll be OK. I think Arsenal will be key in this. I think Arsenal will need to protect him uh, against a lot of the issues that, you know, you can come across if you've made a big money move. I think they maybe learnt their lesson from Nicolas Pepe. But ultimately, I, I think what this comes down to, Lynn, is that for me, Arsenal don't pay this kind of money for a player. They're not sure can handle it. You know, the, the Nicolas Pepe thing was a, a completely different story. We've talked about that 
many a times over the last few years. Um, and, you know, it's clear that he wasn't at the level that maybe we thought he was incredibly talented, but it's not just about talent in football. You know, it's about mentality. It's about being able to handle the pressure. It's about so much more than that. And unfortunately, Nicolas Pepe was lacking in some of those other departments. I don't think Rice is lacking in ability. I don't think he's lacking in athleticism. And I don't think he's lacking mentally based on that interview. I also think he's got a great character, the kind of character that people warm to and that people naturally want to rally around and support. Uh, V-Dub says, uh, watching uh, from afar, is that New Zealand or Australia? I beg your pardon. I always get those two flags confused. Let me know. Great feeling being a Guna right now. Finally, we are creating fan engagement and we're going places with intention. John North uh, says, hello from Ireland. Uh, I enjoy your channel. I've been an Arsenal fan since 1971. Big shout out to you, my friend. Uh, great to see you in the comments. Rodney says, hi, Harry. Been a Guna for 50 years. The good times are back. And thank you and well done to you for your awesome show and professional reporting. You're so passionate for the Arsenal. Well done, Harry. Thank you so much, mate, for your very, very kind words. Messages like that honestly mean the world to me because you wouldn't believe. Well, no, you would believe it because lots of you have been here and seen it um, that you you get a lot of shit when you do a job like this, because whatever you say, there will be someone that disagrees with you. And often nowadays, particularly in the age that we live in, people can't just disagree respectfully. People want to go at you. If you see some of the, the messages that I got from West Ham fans uh, on Twitter the other night, because I said, I just find it a bit ironic that, you know, West Ham were sort of taking a while uh, to, to sort of move forward with the deal in the early stages because they wanted to bring Man City into the equation and see if they could get a little bit more money. But then when it came to the deal having been agreed and Arsenal started to slow it down at their end, they were all up in arms about it. I said that was a little bit ironic and you wouldn't believe, man, the, the abuse I got. So when you get nice messages, um, it, it does mean the world because it's very easy in a job like this to focus on the negative comments you get because more often than not it's the negative people that are really really vocal and the the people that enjoy what you do might not be as vocal and that's fine as well but you know it's important to see that balance as well um for your own sanity if nothing else but thank you so much guys for your kind words uh look we're going to um move on to a couple of other subjects now in fact we've got a few subjects we're going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, following Balogun. We're going to talk, uh, of course, Romeo Lavia, who continues to be linked with a move to Arsenal. But first, we're going to talk about Thomas Partey and the latest on his future. We're going to take a very, very short pause and we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family. There are loads and loads and loads of you watching us live uh, right now, which is amazing. But there's one problem. We've only got 100 odd likes on the board. Guys, there is no reason uh, why we shouldn't have at least 300. I'm going to say 300. Let's aim for, in fact, let's aim for 500 likes by, uh, by the time uh, we, uh, we're finished with this stream. Now I know we might not manage that on the live, but 500 overall, I think is, is very, very achievable guys. So, uh, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Also subscribe 
to the channel if you haven't done so already. That really, really does help as we continue on our journey towards three, uh, I need to say 3,000, 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. It's mind blowing. 30,000 people. Um, we're nearly there. We're not a million miles off. So if you haven't done it already, please do subscribe to the channel. As I say, it really, really does help. Uh, let's take a, a couple more. Oh, there's so many nice comments coming through now, which is amazing. Uh, Damien says, can't wait to see your team. Don't worry, we'll get that done in the next couple of days. I promise you. I just wanted to do it on a day where there wasn't that much news because I felt like that would be a good way of A, filling the space, but B, sort of making sure that the content continues because there will be days where I think it's going to get a lot quieter now for Arsenal um, over the next few weeks. But obviously, uh, there is a lot of speculation around today with regards to a few players. So we've got to address that. Uh, Reginald says, I prefer uh, your channel to all the others. Thank you so much. Been a gooner since 1943. I'm excited about the future. Wow. Uh, Arsenal FC1 says, hi, Harry. Gooner since 78. Thanks uh, for your great work. Thank you so much uh, to you as well, mate. Okay. Let's do it then. Thomas Partey, what exactly is going on with the Ghanaian? Now, I, I want to sort of caveat this whole conversation with uh, just one line that's been going around in my head over um, over the uh, last sort of 24 hours since it became apparent that the Declan Rice deal was ready to be announced I remember sort of sitting there yesterday and I was having this conversation with my dad because we we spoke in the morning and I said, yep, the Declan Rice thing, it's coming today. You know, make sure you're, uh, you're keeping an eye on your phone. Make sure you're ready uh, to jump on and, and have a look at all the amazing material that I knew was going to be coming our way. But I did say to him yesterday, whether Thomas Partey is leaving or not, the speculation around Thomas Partey is going to increase when Declan Rice officially joins, and that's all confirmed. Why? Because if you're a journalist, you are going to... Let me rephrase this before I upset someone. There are a lot of people online that are opportunists. And I don't mean this in a negative way. This is not me digging or calling anybody out, so please don't take it that way. But... A lot of the time, when it comes to football reports, it's about timing. And there will be times where you can post something and it makes more sense than it would make at any other time, which naturally drives engagement and then impacts on the level of pickup on that piece. So Thomas Partey leaving is something that's been talked about for a little while. Okay? There's, there's no getting away from that. We've known that that's been a conversation. We've known that that's been a possibility because some really, really high-profile journalists who are very well-connected have said as much. To drop the, the Thomas Partey news or, or Thomas Partey report that I'm referencing now that we're going to get into in a little bit more detail in a minute, you've got to do it at the right time. And to drop it after the Rice announcement is the perfect time. So that's the first thing. So any report that comes out right now about Thomas Partey, I'm skeptical of because of the timing, first and foremost. You could argue the other way that actually Arsenal were only going to ever entertain the idea of Partey leaving once they got Rice in. So maybe it makes sense from that perspective. And I get that and I get that side of the argument. But then you've got to look at the report itself. And 
you've got to try and figure out or make sense of this report. And from that, you can decide in your own mind, nobody's going to tell you what to believe or what not to believe, but you can decide in your own mind how much attention you want to give this thing and how much. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill credence you want to give this thing. So this is what we got last night. Okay. For those of you that are not necessarily in the loop last night, there was a report that came out from a Saudi based outlet that said Thomas Partey has finally accepted an offer of personal terms from Saudi Arabia. Okay. From who? No club is mentioned. What do the terms look like? Nothing is mentioned. Where are this mysterious club in terms of their conversations and discussions with Arsenal? Again, nothing mentioned. That's a really, really vague piece of reporting, like really vague. And when something is that vague, I think you have to scrutinize it that bit more. And I think you have to then think about it that bit more. And you have to put it through what I call the common sense test. Common sense tells us that if Arsenal are going to sell Thomas Partey this summer, They'll be more willing to do it now. And it's more likely now that, of course, uh, Declan Rice is in the door. But this feels like an opportunist jumping at the chance to, to make a splash. Just AJ says, Ornstein reported this weeks ago. Correct. David Ornstein reported there's a possibility that Thomas Partey goes. I'm not denying that. The bit that I'm struggling with is the report that broke last night, which specifically says that Thomas Partey has agreed personal terms with a Saudi club. Now, in over the last few weeks, we've heard repeatedly that Thomas Partey's preference is not to go to Saudi Arabia, that he'd rather stay um, in Italy. Or, or Sorry, he'd rather go to Italy, not stay in Italy. He'd rather go to Italy or remain somewhere in Europe. Now, I'm not saying that Thomas Partey won't, by the end of the window, end up in Saudi Arabia. I can't say that because I don't know that. But if you read this report that came out last night, all it says is that Thomas Partey has agreed personal terms with the Saudi club. Who? Nobody knows. What are the details? Nobody knows. Um, what's the status of that club's negotiations with Arsenal? Nobody knows because nobody even knows who the club is. That's the point I'm making, right? This is a really, really vague report. And although I would not dismiss the idea or the chance of Thomas Partey moving to Saudi Arabia, this report is not enough for me to go wild about it and start ranting and raving about this decision. Because I personally think letting Thomas Partey go now is the wrong thing to do. And I've said that over and over again. 
I've talked about the need to build on what we had last season and the need to move forward, not to take steps back, not to strip it all back and go again. Now, Arteta might feel differently and Edu might feel differently. They might think it's time for a rebuild in midfield. And if they do, fine. You know, I can still have my opinion on that. And my opinion is that that is not the right thing to do right now. It needs to be, if you're going to rebuild it, the transition needs to be managed in the right way so that Arsenal maintain the levels that they displayed last season and don't take three steps back again before they move forward. Because ultimately we're on the cusp of being great, but we're not quite there yet. And so we need improvements. We're not at the point where we are really, really desperate and they're or, or really, really poor, and everybody feels like we need to rip it all up and start again. We're not there now. So that's the point I'm making here. Not saying that Thomas Partey won't go, but, you know, there's no club mentioned in that report. There are other reports going around claiming that Al-Ali and Al-Khalij are among the clubs interested, but we don't know who this offer that Thomas Partey's accepted has come from. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if we're at that stage yet, you know, so let's um, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what happens is, is my message on that. It will be a problem letting him go because then I think we need a couple of midfielders to come in, you know, and, and that gives us a lot more work to do between now and the end of the window. And I've kind of been under the impression that we've done the majority of that work already. I mentioned just briefly in passing a little bit earlier on that there was a piece in The Athletic that sort of talked about how Arsenal got the Declan Rice deal done and how they sold him on the idea um, and, and the project. And in that piece, it references this idea of Rice playing as a six, which would in theory mean that Thomas Partey might no longer be a starter. But still, you know, he's on big money at Arsenal. He's still got a contract. He'll get plenty of games if he sticks around and all the rest of it. I just, yeah, to me... Um, I'm not saying that he's definitely going to stay at Arsenal, but I just think all of this is a bit vague, and so I'm not going to um, I'm not going to jump on it uh, too easily. Uh, lots of you agree with regards to how vague the report is, and the fact that that maybe means we should take it with with a pinch of salt at this moment in time. Um, <laughs> Kenny AFC says Harry between journalists and politicians, who lies more? Definitely politicians. Uh, definitely politicians. Um, look. I think sports journalists work in a really different way to, shall I call them real life journalists? I guess, you know, sports journalists are as good as the information that they get. As I always say, um, I, I don't think there's as much, you know, maybe this is slightly naive of me, but I don't think there's as much underhanded um, stuff going on in football journalism as there is in, for example, political journalism. You know, we don't hear about phone hacking cases and all the rest of it. Um, too often in football, um, you know, again, we're opening up a can of worms here, but basically I just think that, you know, I think that a lot of journalists will get information that they trust. And so they'll publicize that information. And when it comes wrong, people will say, oh my God, they're useless. But a lot of the time you get footballers that deny things, you get clubs that deny things. And so just because it's been shut down doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't true in the first place. And I've heard many stories from many colleagues over the last couple of years where they've got some information directly from a football club only for the football club to then come out and deny it within days, make that journalist look stupid. And actually they only reported what they were told. 
and um, and the information that they were passed. So you got to be open minded both ways when it comes to this stuff. But I just think the Thomas Partey stuff, there's not enough there for me to be convinced by. And if there's not enough for me to be convinced by, then it would be wrong of me to sit here and rant now about the fact that I think letting Thomas Partey go would be a bad idea. That is my stance. That is my opinion. But we'll cross that bridge if we get to it. At the moment, we're not there. Um, tying that in with a bit of uh, other reporting that obviously works uh, in tandem with this. And again, I'm not saying that this is someone being opportunistic, but, you know, if there's loads of talk about Thomas Partey going, well, then it's the perfect uh, it's the perfect time, isn't it? And it's the perfect window to drop a bit about Arsenal still being interested in Romeo Lavia um, from Southampton. Belgian journalist Sasha Tavaleri uh, has uh, has put that out. Again, I'm not saying that he's lying. I'm not saying that he's making it up. I'm not saying that this is a fabrication of a story. Not for a second. I've got huge respect for everyone that works in this industry because I know what a slog it can be and how cutthroat it is and all the rest of it. But it's the perfect window to drop a story like that. So whereas, you know, you might have been wanting to dig a little bit deeper on that one and, and maybe drop something next week, you might look at the situation, the fact that the Thomas Partey stuff is really gathering wind and then drop a slightly more vague story uh, about Lavia because you know that at that point it's going to get the most amount of pickup. And this is what I'm talking about. Timing here is key and it is everything. Um, I mean, Romeo Lavia talked about him a ton of times this summer. Um, don't really want to go over the same stuff again and again and again. But for me, in the short term, he's a downgrade on Thomas Partey. Now, he might go on to be a better player than Thomas Partey in the coming seasons. But right now, as of today, 16th of July, 2023, Romeo Lavia is not as good a player as Thomas Partey. If we went away to one of the big boys in the UEFA Champions League, I want Thomas Partey in my midfield over Lavia because he's got the know-how, he's got the experience, he's got the quality, he's got it all when he's fit and firing. And so, like, Lavia can be a good addition if we do move for him and bring him in. But am I going to be jumping up and down saying, well, that instantly improves us? No. If he comes in as well as Partey staying, happy days. I'd be delighted by that because I think he is a real exciting prospect. But we're talking about the here and now. I mentioned it earlier. This is not about building for the future anymore with Arsenal. Yeah, you always want to be future-proof and you always want to have plans in place that contribute to your future and where you're going to be three, four, five years down the line. But for me, it's about um, it's about making sure that you know we're we're moving forward from where we were last season. Because when you make such a big stride as we did, it would be a real, real shame to almost or, or take that leap, if you like, off the edge, but then not be able to grab onto the edge on the other side and just fall away. That'd be horrible um, and really difficult, I think, for us as fans to take. Uh, so that's the latest on uh, Romeo Lavia. Arsenal said to be still interested and uh, they they hold certain advantages, according to Sasha Tavaleri, uh, which makes them an attractive proposition and uh, makes them someone that he'd consider joining if, uh, of course, the Gunners were willing to stump up the money. We think it's about £50 million that Southampton are asking for, which is a lot of money. Um, you know, Arsenal will probably feel like they can afford that or, or would be willing to spend that if they were to offload Thomas Partey, because in the the sort of 
mixed match of reports that we've been getting over the last few weeks. A price of about 40 million has been spoken about when it comes to Thomas Partey. Fabinho's going for that kind of money uh, over to Saudi Arabia. So that's at the very least what we should be demanding. But as I say, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see how this goes and um, and and how things are looking a little bit later on in the window on this. Another player that's been linked with a move away is, of course, following Balogun. Now, uh, he uh, went out to Germany with the side. He is going to go out to the US uh, with the side. They leave today uh, for um, for the US as that preseason tour begins. Uh, following Balogun, we've been talking about him all summer as well. Does he go? Does he stay? Is the preseason an opportunity for him to prove himself and show what he can do? Does that see him, if he does deliver, jump ahead of Eddie Nketiah in the pecking order, in which case he gets more opportunities? And maybe Eddie Nketiah ends up being the one that's sold. I don't know. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. Right now, following Balogun's value is at a point it probably isn't going to be anytime soon if he stays at Arsenal because he's not going to play that regularly. And if he's not playing regularly, how can you slap a 40, 50 million pound price tag on him? I know that a lot of people want him to stay. I'm I'm in the camp of I'd quite like to see him get an opportunity. But if that kind of money is on the table and Arsenal are not sure about his ability to challenge Gabriel Jesus, then I'd understand why they take it. Um, but we're getting contradictory reports or we have had contradictory reports all summer with regards to what Arsenal's asking prices. Some say 30. I've heard 35. I've heard 40. I've heard 45. I've heard as far as 50 million pounds as well. And the latest club uh, to be uh, said to be showing an interest in following Balogun is Inter. Now, of course, Inter Champions League finalists last season did incredibly well under Simone Inzaghi, uh, looking for a solution at centre forward with Edin Dzeko having departed from the club. Um, Lukaku was the one that they were really, really keen on. Obviously, he rejoined Inter from Chelsea on loan, and it was understood that the two clubs were at the table trying to work out a price point at which both would be happy to deal, taking Romelu Lukaku back to Inter, where he told everybody that he wanted to be. But this is a big, big story and one that's maybe gone under the radar because we've been so bogged down and sort of focused on the um on the rice and timber stuff that maybe we we kind of ignored it a little bit i remember sort of reading this a couple of days ago and um and thinking to myself my god for someone who's as big into Serie A as me how have i not been right across this the reason i've not been right across it is because arsenal have been taking up all my time but th- this is an extraordinary story unfolding in italy romelu lukaku who had told everybody that he wanted to go back to inter it's been found out that actually he was having talks with Juventus, their greatest rival, even more than AC Milan, you'd argue. Um, their greatest rival, Inter. He's been having conversations with them over the last few months about a possible move there. He's been talking to clubs in Saudi Arabia about a possible move there. And Inter have found this out and having made... Uh, some contact with Chelsea were trying to get a hold of Romelu Lukaku as the report goes uh, to kind of move things along and couldn't get a hold of him because he was waiting to see what was on the table from Juve who were rumored to be willing to pay him more in terms of a salary and all the rest of it. And and this has just led to a complete breakdown in the relationship between Inter and Lukaku to the point that Inter are now back in the market looking at another striking option. Uh, and of course, Balogun is said to be right at the top of their list. But there are 
a couple of interesting bits here. So they want clarity from Arsenal with regards to what the player's valuation is. They think uh, that 50 million is too much. I think they would be willing to go up to around about 40 if the payment structure was one that works for them. But they want some clarity from Arsenal. My understanding from the Arsenal side at this moment in time is that Arsenal are not sure whether or not they want to allow Foller and Balogun to go. So they're going to try and keep this one on ice. The problem is, is that Inter do not want to hang around here. Inter want to get a centre-forward in and they want to do it sooner rather than later. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how long this drags out for and if Arsenal do drag it out until the end of their pre-season tour, whether Inter will still be there waiting or if Inter will have turned their attentions elsewhere because they are being linked um, with uh, with other clubs, uh, beg your pardon, with other strikers as well. But that's the latest coming out of Italy. Romelu Lukaku's uh, permanent move to Inter for the second time uh, apparently has broken down and so Inter have turned their attention to Balogun among others as uh, as a potential uh, replacement for the Belgian. Okay, uh, that's kind of it in terms of my stories that I want to share with you guys. Uh, just a quick reminder once again, uh, leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Um, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Let's try and get uh, as close to uh, the uh, 30k mark as we possibly can. I know that it's going to take a few months to get there and I know that you're going to get fed up of me saying it over and over and over again but i'm gonna say it again like subscribe all the rest of it if you're listening on audio please do uh, leave us a review as well that really really does help next up uh, for the last 10 or so minutes of the show your questions from the live chat so start filling up the chat box with your questions and i'll get around to those in just a minute okay let's do this um Antoine says, uh, should we agree to sell Balogun on the cheap, but add in a good buyback clause? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, it's it's really difficult to know what to do with Balogun at the moment. And I don't envy the people that have to make this decision. Because on the one hand, you've got this young striker who went up to France and tore it up. And, and as I keep talking about, has this immense commercial value because of his role in the US men's national team and all the rest of it. But at the same time, you know that if he stays at Arsenal, plays second fiddle or even third fiddle, you know, in, in the centre forward position, his value is going to rapidly decline. And that will mean that when the next window comes along, you may have a player that, didn't really cut it, didn't really have enough of an impact, but all of a sudden now he's only worth 15, 20 million, but at the time he was worth 40. So I think it's really, really difficult. I think this is a gamble. Whichever way Arsenal play this, it's a gamble to let him go because he could turn into this absolute monster of a striker and you look back and go, oh my God, we dropped the ball here. Or, you know, it could be a masterclass. He could go somewhere, not really live up to the hype and and all of a sudden, you've pocketed a lot of money here. If you keep him, you know, again, he could turn into a world beater or he could be a bit of a flop that it, later down the line, you can't get any funds in for. So it is a gamble, whatever way you look at this, I think. Um, and I know I get a lot of shit uh, from our listener, Moss, uh, for my sort of uh, opinions on the French Ligue 1. I'm not, like, I'm not dismissing Ligue 1 or, or anything like that, like as a league or, or wanting to shit on it or discredit it. But you, you can't tell me that the league is at the same level as the Premier League. And so, therefore, you can't tell me that it's not a gamble 
hoping or expecting him to produce a similar return at a much higher standard of football. I remember having this conversation with loads of you in the chat when Arsenal were heavily, heavily linked with Emi Buendia. Do you remember that? And people used to say to me, but look how many goals and assists he's got in the championship. And I always used to say, guys, it's the championship. It's, it's a tough old league. And I've got a lot of respect for all of the clubs and players that participate in it. Of course I do. But to suggest that someone with a good record in the championship automatically slots into a Premier League team and delivers the same level of output was wild. And although there is a bigger gap between the Premier League and the Championship than there is between the Premier League and Liga, I accept that. Um, you know, there is a, there is um, there is a big gamble here, and, and there is no guarantee that it will translate. But anyway, uh, let's take uh, some more of your questions. Uh, Temi says, "What do you think about Charlie Patino uh, playing in the Xhaka role?" Um, he seems to be stylistically the closest player to Xhaka at the club. I'm not not 100% sure I agree with that. Um, I, I've given up on Charlie Patino. I think he's gone. Um, uh, he's off. Uh, he's not going to be an Arsenal player, I don't think, come the start of the new season. Um, and I think we just got to let this one go, uh, to be honest with you. Um, lots of questions about Balogun. Um, I, I kind of addressed those, so I'm not going to go over the same thing, but appreciate the questions. Uh, coming in. Uh, what else have we got? Wondering Minstrel says, do you think the Saudi money is causing the prices to rise for sellers and not helping the buying clubs? Yeah, I mean, the Saudi money is not healthy for, for the football ecosystem. And it's not because it's Saudi money, by the way. I know that I'm going to get a lot of people going, oh my God, you're a xenophobe and all this. No, it's nothing to do with the fact that it's Saudi. Okay, whatever other issues people with have have with Saudi Arabia as a nation, that's up to them. Um, I, I'm not politicizing this conversation. For me, it's about football and football alone. And I'd say the same thing if it was the the Cypriot. Not that it would ever happen, but the Cypriot league that were buying up all these players and paying crazy amounts of money. What I think it's done is it's worked well for some clubs. And it might work well for us if we sell Thomas Partey there because we'll be getting an amount of money in for a player that we could never have got from anywhere else. But at the same time, it just it impacts the ecosystem dramatically in a number of ways. And, you know, it does drive the price up because now people will say, well, if the Saudis are paying 40 million for Fabinho, for example, who some would argue has, has had his best days, then what does someone 24, 25 years old cost? You, you use that as a benchmark, you add on a whole load of inflation and all of a sudden you end up with a ridiculous price that kills football. So, yeah, it's not a good thing, whatever way you look at it. Um, loads and loads of questions coming in. Um, I will pick out a few more. Uh, apologies if I miss some of them. There are loads coming in and I won't have time to do every single one of them, uh, but we'll get through as many as we can. Johnny says, do you think Eddie should now be sold? I feel he's not grabbed the chances he's been given and shown he isn't a top four striker. I think we're going to need a backup striker, right? There's no question about that. Now, some would argue Martinelli could do it. Some would argue that Havertz can do it as well. Some would argue that Trossard could play as a false nine. So I understand why there are people that think that Eddie should go. But I think Eddie's future is largely based on what happens with Balogun. If Balogun stays, then for me, there's no place for Eddie as well. And so you've got to move him on. So this is where Arsenal have a decision to make on those two players this summer. Um, again, though, selling is sometimes 
deemed right or wrong based on what you're being offered. And at this moment in time, we don't know that there is any offer on the table for Eddie Nketiah. Someone comes along and says, here's 20, 25 million. Then I think about it for sure, because what you've done is by you have basically made money on him. You gave him that contract for five years was worth, I think, 25 million over the five year period. You're going to make all that money a year into that contract. And therefore you've you've made profit on the four years that you haven't yet paid him for. Uh, and you've got that money to reinvest back in the squad. You know, I, I think if Balogun is the one that Arteta wants to go with, if he thinks that he's further down the progression line than Enketia and the one that's going to take precedent when Jesus isn't available, then, then you've got to sell Eddie in that, in that scenario. Um, but we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see because it's not really clear, is it? What Mikel Arteta's, um, you know, idea is or, or thoughts are on those two players as, when they can pair up against one another. Uh, Mike in Perth, uh, big hello to you, mate, says, is Torres, uh, Ferran Torres, I'm assuming you're talking about, a good option for Saka and nine cover, do you think? I, I think Ferran Torres is a decent player. I, I do. And I think that actually because of Barcelona's financial situation, you could probably get him for a decent amount of money if Ferran Torres wants the move. And this is the big problem and the big stumbling block that that Barca are facing at the moment because they've got a few players at the club that they want to move on because they need to move on uh, so that they can A, free up space for more and make sure that they're complying with the, the financial restrictions that they're under at this moment in time. But the the, the story goes and, and the reports say that Ferran Torres doesn't want to leave Barcelona and he's digging his heels in and he's not going anywhere. And he's not the only player that this is being written about in the Barcelona ranks at the moment, which is a problem for them. Uh, but yeah, um, I think he'd be a good option. But Again, you know, we've not just got the obstacle of getting past Barcelona right now uh, In with regards to this. It'll be trying to convince Ferran Torres that he should leave Barcelona as well because he feels he was promised uh, game time there. He feels that the contract he's on is, is good enough. He wants to be in Spain from what we understand as well. And um, he's one of a number of players that Barcelona just cannot get off the books at this moment in time. Uh, William Salibak. Uh, with a new contract, great name, says Harry, Frank Kessie is supposedly going on loan to Juve with a 25 million buy option. Should we hijack the deal? Kessie is a good six to eight profile. I liked Kessie when he was at Milan um, and I talked about him as someone that Arsenal should look at maybe two seasons ago now, maybe longer. Um, his star has fallen, fallen a little bit. No question about that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I... I I look at players and I think there are there's a point where they're at a great level and actually you should go and hijack them then or hijack's the wrong word, but you should go and nab them then because if you can do that, um, you're bringing them in and they're full of confidence and you've got the platform on which to rebuild them. And I guess this is the same reason why some people are a little bit sceptical about the Kai Havertz signing because, yeah, he was a great player and showed he was a great player before, but then it's gone bad, you know, and, and he hasn't performed and he struggled and his confidence took a beating. And now people think that the reason this represents a bit of a risk is because not only does Mikel Arteta have to get him up to speed with everything Arsenal are doing, but he also has to work on rebuilding his confidence as well. And um, and I think that would be the case with Frank Kessie. I think Kessie's so suited to Serie A. 
that if I were him, I'd go back to to Serie A and a club like Juve is is a, is a good place uh, to land. Um, I would be unsure on this one, to be honest with you. I haven't thought about it before because I didn't think it was even a possibility. Uh, I referenced players that were digging their heels in at Barcelona and we believed that Frank Kessie was one of them as well just a few weeks ago. So it's not something I've thought about and it's not something I've... Um, I've really sort of dived too much into. But at this moment in time, my answer would be not 100% sure on that one. Uh, not 100% sure. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there. Um, thank you so, so much for tuning in, as always. Can't believe how many of you uh, were with us live. We've had over 2,500 of you join us uh, during this live stream. And for a Sunday uh, early afternoon, that is amazing. Um We've got 234 likes on the board. We're nowhere near the target, but let's try and get as close to that as we possibly can. Like, 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 all the rest of it. Subscribe if you're new uh, and, or, or you might not be new. You might just not be subscribed. Subscribe. Um, and uh, I'll see you all very, very soon with more. We'll be back tomorrow with more content, unless something breaks later on that we feel the need to cover. I'll catch you all soon. Until then, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.